If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to Galatians chapter 3. It's um, it's the political season in America, it seems like. Um, it seems always to be that to a certain extent, but yet we see a lot of politicians. We have not been in a state yet that's been inundated with commercials, but if you've lived in certain states, that's all you've seen on TV in between your favorite television programs. And I've, I've learned something about politics. I'm not going to endorse any candidates if that's what you're waiting for right now. Um, but I've learned this, that if you are a politician, the worst thing that you can do is change your mind about something. There's a new phrase that's been in in recent years called you're you're a flip flopper. Have you have you guys heard this? Can you imagine if um if you were held accountable for everything that you once said and and you were held guilty for having changed your mind? Well, as a as a politician, you're not allowed to do that. You cannot change your mind. And and in, it's it's interesting. Um, as we look at the book of Galatians, as we look at these verses that we're going to discuss. This morning, the argument of Paul's opponents, who we've called the Judaizers at times, they're saying that you're not saved just by faith, you're saved by faith that is followed then by, by works of the law. They're saying that what Paul is doing is changing the message that God has given from the beginning. He's changing the message of God's plan for salvation, for rescuing the world from sin. They're arguing that this radical message of faith alone runs counter to what has always been taught. That faith is the beginning, and then by obedience to the law, that's necessary. That he's, the, the Judaizers are saying, that's the message that God has always preached. And Paul's saying, uh, saying something different, something that is opposed to that. But what we find here in Galatians 3, we're going to look at verses 6 through 9, is that Paul makes the argument, and this is the key, is that God's rescue plan for the world has never changed. God's rescue plan for the world has never changed. There's this argument that, Paul, you're changing the message. You're, you're teaching something different. And Paul says, no, I'm actually teaching the exact same thing that has always been taught throughout all of Scripture. What's great about this passage is he goes back to, back to Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. And he argues that Abraham himself was saved by God in the same way that he is preaching people are saved by God, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, and amazingly, in Christ alone. Let's read these verses together as we think about what Paul is is teaching and what God is teaching us through these words. But we'll read Galatians 3, and let's read verses 1 through 5 as well. So we'll read verses 1 through 9 and and get the context, though we'll be focusing on verses 6 through 9. Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. 
the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Galatians by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So again, Paul's main message for the Galatians and for us is this, that God's rescue plan, uh, God's plan of salvation for the world has never changed. And he begins to show that by saying, first of all, that righteousness has always come by faith. Righteousness has always come by faith. You'll remember, we just read, and we looked at it last week, verses 1 through 5, Paul had this series of questions where he's driving home a point. They weren't as much questions as they were statements we saw. And he's driving home uh, this point that salvation is, he's talking about the the Galatians' experience of salvation and the, the coming of the Spirit and that these things were evidences to them that God justifies by faith and not by works. So he he talks about their experience and says, this proves what I am teaching you. And now, for the rest of chapters 3 and 4, he's going to appeal to Scripture. In verse 6, it says, he, it says, even so, Abraham, Paul moves from basing his argument on experience to basing it on the Scriptures, and specifically, he goes back to Abraham. Now, when his opponents, when the Judaizers would have heard the name Abraham, this forefather of their faith, they would probably start to wonder, is this is this really where you want to go, Paul? you want to go back to Abraham? Because Abraham is, is ours. I mean, Abraham teaches the message that we're teaching. Um, in their minds, Abraham was a clear support for the teaching that they were doing, that, that you might be able to begin by faith, but you are ultimately justified, made righteous by the works that you do before God. They saw Abraham as a clear example of this. They would have looked at Abraham and said, he had this life that was filled with good works. You think about the call of God in his life. He calls him to go to a land that he doesn't know, and Abraham gets up and he does what God told him to do. You can think about where God obeys him, or, or, or God calls him to uh, to circumcise his family, that this is what they are to do. This is the work that they are to do to show that they are his people. And Abraham obeys. And the greatest example, God tells Abraham, I want you to kill your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, the son of the promise. And Abraham obeys. Abraham did everything that God called him to do. Abraham was a textbook example of salvation by works. Or was he? That's what they were, would have taught. But Paul returns to the book of Galatians, and he goes back to chapter 15, which we read, that beautiful portion of Scripture. And he goes to chapter 15, and he quotes, and he says in verse 6, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Some wanted to focus on Abraham's good deeds, but Paul goes back to the Scriptures to what God says in the scriptures, and he emphasizes Abraham's faith. So which was it? Was Abraham saved because he was righteous, because he did good things, or was he saved because he believed God? Was he saved by faith? 
Paul makes a great argument in Romans chapter 4. We Hopefully we'll be able to look at some of that tonight, actually, as we gather, um, where this, this same passage is quoted. But in Romans um, chapter 4, he, he makes this argument based on, on the issue of circumcision. You remember that the Judaizers, they would have come and they said, this is something that the law says you need to do to be right with God, and so we need to do this to be right with God. But Paul goes back and he says, yeah, but God made this promise... He says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness in Genesis 15. Abraham was counted righteous in Genesis 15. And it's not until Genesis 17 that God calls Abraham to be circumcised. He is declared righteous in chapter 15. And in chapter 17, God calls him to be circumcised. And Paul's argument is it doesn't make sense for you to say he was made righteous by obeying that command of God because God already declared him righteous. In Genesis chapter 15, and as we all know, Genesis chapter 17 is later than Genesis chapter 15. So he makes an argument based on the time of, that this happened. Uh, so the, the Judaizers, the opponents of Paul, were arguing that you are saved. You, you may begin by faith, but you need to complete your salvation by doing good works. And Paul is saying, no, it's by faith alone. And Abraham is held up by both of them to say that he is an example. But Paul goes back to the scriptures and he says, no, God says that Abraham believed, and that's why he was counted righteous. Martin Luther says this in his commentary on Galatians. He says, Abraham may have enjoyed a good standing with men for his upright life, but not with God. In the sight of God, Abraham was a condemned sinner. That he was justified before God was not due to his own exertions, to his own effort but due to his faith. The scriptures expressly state, Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So what is the nature of Abraham's faith that we see here? That The context of that quote in Genesis 15 is that Abraham was going to have a son, that God was going to give Abraham a son. Um, an heir to become this great nation that, that God had already promised that he was going to be in Genesis chapter 12. But Abraham was old, and Sarah wasn't too far behind him. And the promise of God, the word of God, went against all of Abraham's logic. It went against his his reasoning and even his experience. He wanted the word of God to be true. They wanted a son. But he and Sarah still wondered if, God was going to fulfill this word to them in some other way, maybe. Uh, maybe through his servant, Eliezer of Damascus, which we saw in Genesis 15. Or, or maybe it's going to happen through Hagar. Uh, someone else is going to have to provide this child because it's not going to happen through us. But God continued to say that he was going to bless them, that Sarah would have a son. And so contrary to everything that he knew, everything that he could reason, he believed God. He puts his faith in God, trusting that he could do everything that he said he could do. Abraham doubted at times. Abraham was a man with feet of clay. We can watch him stumble and fall, and yet his life was marked by faith in God and in God's promises. He believed God. Now here's a question I think we need to ask, though. If if faith is the key, maybe, that unlocks the door of salvation, then isn't Abraham doing something? 
Isn't Abraham offering something to God? Is he giving God a, a work? Is he giving God faith and therefore God saves him? I'll try to illustrate this and it'll break down probably, but let me give you the best illustration I can, or at least the illustration I have right now. Uh, think about it this way. There are some people in our society that have a stereotype for being untrustworthy. You don't trust them. Maybe some occupations are jumping into your mind. Used car salesmen. Do not trust any of them. Uh, maybe lawyers. Weathermen. They don't know what they're talking about. Or how about um, an auto mechanic? If you find a car mechanic that you can trust, that's something that you definitely, you, you highly value that. You can take your car to him and you believe that when he says, this is broken, that it's actually broken. And then when he says, this is how much it will cost to fix it, you say, I think he's being fair. He is trustworthy. He's worthy of your trust. So you put your faith in him and you hand over your car and, yes, your money to him. And the beauty of that transaction is that is that you're blessed with good service, with service that, that you can trust, and the mechanic is honored as trustworthy. Now, if you remove money from that situation and probably a lot of other variables, it may help us to see what faith is and, and how it how it works. Some would say that faith is something that we give to God, so it's not unlike a, a good deed. But faith is really less about us and more about the object of our faith. If we believe God, it does not exalt us, but it exalts God as worthy of faith and trust. He is seen as, as trustworthy, as, as powerful. Faith isn't, isn't grasping on to something so that we can give it to God, but faith is opening in our hands and saying that we don't have anything to give to God, that we have to place our trust in Him alone. So do you trust God? Like Abraham. Do you, do you believe that he will do what he says he will do? Do you believe that he is able to forgive sins and make you righteous like he says he can? Or do you take God's word like you take the weatherman's word or the word of a, a lawyer? You don't believe that he can do what he says. Abraham believed God. Not because Abraham was good, but because God was worthy of his trust and able to do what he said he would do. But maybe you still want to offer God something, you know. Just like you might say to the mechanic, I believe you, but here's 50 bucks. Just make sure you do it right, you know. You want to slip something in there. And in offering the mechanic $50 to make sure that he does it right, what are you really saying? I kind of trust you. I, I sort of trust you. I think that you're going to do it right, but I just want to kind of make sure everything's set. I want to seal the deal here, you know. To say, God, I trust you, but here are some good works just to make sure that you're you're happy with me, is not to trust God at all. We can go back to those verses we looked at where Paul says that if you add something, if, if we want to go back to that, if we want to say, yes, we need to give God something else then we nullify the entire message. It's all or nothing. Either you are completely believe God that he will do what he says he will do, or you don't. We saw that when we come to God empty-handed, believing that God will do what he says, then 
we glorify him. We lift him up. We see that we show that he is great, that he is worthy of our trust and that he will do what he says. Look at this verse again. And so even so, Abraham, verse six, believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed and then God did something. In the moment that Abraham believed, God saw his faith, his belief that God was who he said he was and can do whatever he said he would do. And God credited Abraham with righteousness. That word, I have it uh, as um, reckoned. It was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. It's actually a, a mathematical term. It's, you could translate it calculated. Uh, something was added to Abraham. It was reckoned. It was credited to him. Uh, a commentator, uh, Philip Ryken, says this, Trusting God was like opening a bank account. Immediately, God transferred righteousness into Abraham's account. This does not mean that Abraham was actually righteous, only that he was declared righteous. He was considered to have right standing before God. To use the proper theological term, God imputed, I-M-P-U-T-E-D, imputed righteousness to Abraham. God is the one who has the legal right to state whether a man is righteous or unrighteous, and in this case, he considered Abraham righteous through his faith. So Abraham went to the bank with his deposit slip in hand. We've all done this at the bank. And Abraham went and he was broke. In fact, he wasn't just broke, he was in debt. And so was everyone around him that was in the bank. His Their sin had dug a hole that was impossible to climb out of. It looked impossible and it, it really was impossible. But still, they were, you can, I just picture this bank where people are coming and Abraham's coming with his deposit slip and people are, are coming and maybe they have, they have some good works that they're bringing, that they're trying to get some righteousness at the bank, trying to deposit some righteousness before God. And they, they're bringing all the good deeds that they have. Some of them have armfuls and some of them have a whole wheelbarrow and they're wheeling it up and they're, they're trying to deposit some righteousness before God to have right standing before Him. And they keep bringing their debt in, they're bringing their good works in, but in fact as they try to deposit it, it just creates more debt. It's all to no avail. Their, their works have the appearance of righteousness, but they just make the debt larger. In my mind's eye, in my imagination, I guess. I can imagine Abraham stepping up to the window and he says, I would like to make a deposit. He says, but I I don't have anything. I, I don't have any righteousness to give, but but I believe God. I believe his promises are true. And so maybe we can see him sliding his deposit slip under the window and, and written on the deposit slip is faith. That's all he has. He doesn't have anything else to offer. And God is there. He's the owner of the bank. And he takes the deposit slip and he says, Abraham believes God. And he takes whatever debt is here on Abraham's account and he wipes it clean. You're no longer in debt. And, and then God takes, he goes back to the safe and he says, this is, this is all my righteousness. This is all the righteousness of Christ. And I'm going to now put it into your account because you believe me. 
Abraham doesn't have to bring anything except faith. He just needs to believe. And in believing, he honors God. The Judaizers said that Abraham was righteous because of what he did. And so, therefore, we must be made righteous in the same way. The argument goes back to the Old Testament. If that's how it was then, that's how it is now. But Paul says, based on the example of Abraham and on the words of Scripture, that anyone who is made righteous is made righteous by faith, including all the Old Testament saints. And what was their faith in? It was in Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.14 tells us that we all, including the patriarchs, drink from the same spiritual rock. From the same stone, if you will, that we read about. The stone that the builders have rejected is the chief cornerstone. And it's the one that we all believe in. It's Christ. Here's Riken again. Practically speaking, this means that God will accept us only on the same basis he accepted Abraham. Like father, like son. If Abraham was justified by faith, then his children have to be justified by faith too. Therefore, we will never become children of God by what we do, but only by what we believe. We will never become children of God by what we do, but only by what we believe. My my children enjoy helping set the table. Um, it sometimes can turn into an argument, but we are thankful for all the help that they that they give. They want to put the plates out. They want to put the cups out. They want to get the forks. But sometimes they, they come to help and it's all already done. We've already set the table and so there's nothing that they can do. All they can do is sit down to the meal and enjoy it. And so Grace Fellowship Church, I think what this tells us is that the table is set. All that has to be done has been done. Salvation has never been and never will be based on what we do. It's rooted in what Christ has done, that Christ has fulfilled all righteousness. And when we put our faith in him, he gives it to us. He imputes that righteousness to us because he has died in our place so that he can wipe out our debt. He's taken the punishment for our sin and he's lived the life that we could not. All that needs to be done has been done. We simply must believe God, just like Abraham. And when we believe, then we sit down at the table and we sit down with Abraham and with all those who are of faith. We are part of the family, not because we are physically descended from Abraham, because most of us are not, but because we are like him in his faith. Do you see the, the amazing thing that he says here? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Sons of Abraham? That you're a son of Abraham or a daughter of Abraham? That you're a descendant of him? That seems impossible. That for us to be, for us to be children of Abraham runs counter to the entire testimony of the Old Testament, right? I mean, God's message was for the Jewish people. It was something special. But just as righteousness has always come by faith, that's that first point that we're saying. Righteousness has always come by faith. Secondly, I want us to see this. This is what Paul says. God's desire has always been to bless all nations. So righteousness has always come by faith. And secondly, God has always, God's desire has always been to bless 
all nations. There was this um, this kind of elitism that was cropping up within the Judaizers and with the, the Jewish uh, people. They, they, we, we can think back to the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders who who took issue with Jesus. They rested heavily on the fact that they were that they were what they were Abraham's sons. We are descendants of Abraham. So they're they arguing based on their, their physical lineage. We are descendants of Abraham, and that means we are children of promise. And we receive the blessings of Abraham. But what does Jesus say to them? Jesus says, if you, if Abraham was your father, then you would do what he did. You would believe in me, because that's who Abraham believed in. But instead, they were seeking to kill him. And he says, you're not sons of your father Abraham, because sons of Abraham are children of faith. Isn't that what it says here? Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. So Paul goes on to say that being a son of Abraham actually has absolutely nothing to do with being physically descended from him. Rather, it's those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And not only are they sons, but look later on in, in verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. We receive the blessings that were promised to Abraham, not because we are physically descended from him, not because we are Jewish, but why? Because we are his children by faith. Remember, the Judaizers seem to think that Paul was bringing some sort of new message, but he is saying that the message he brought is the same message that had been spoken to Abraham. And we see he's quoting again from Genesis 12 and Genesis 18, the promise to Abraham. You see that in, in verse 8, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. He quotes again, from, from the Old Testament, all the nations will be blessed in you. You remember that threefold promise that God gave to Abraham, that he would, that he would have the land of Canaan, that he would uh, be blessed as the, the father of many children, and that all nations would be blessed through him. That blessing was not just for the Jewish people. And that was part of the problem. They, they came and they said, this is, this is for us. And yet scripture, even in Isaiah, Isaiah says you are to be a light for the nations, not just for yourselves. That blessing of all families, it didn't come through wealth and prosperity, but it came through a person. It came through Jesus Christ. And scripture tells us that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the Jewish people. No, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of all people. God's plan from beginning to end, from Abraham, from Adam and Eve, from before the foundations of the world, was to bless all nations. This message that that God's desire was to bless all nations, again, was not Paul's invention. It was something that uh, the scriptures spoke about. Look at the way that Paul talks about the scriptures. Uh, the scripture foreseen, uh, who's doing the acting in, in, in verse 8? The scriptures are. The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So scripture is foreseeing something, and scripture is preaching something. The, the words of scripture are being active. 
I think this is somewhat of a, a, a side note, but what this tells us is that the scriptures are the very words of God. The scriptures are saying what God says. That the scriptures foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, which is something that God foresaw. The scriptures preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. This is the word of God that he is speaking. And and his word has not changed. His word is the same from the beginning. Again, the message that was given to Abraham, you're saved by belief, by faith, is the same throughout all of scripture. We are saved by grace through faith. And if God's plan never changes, and it's in the words of Scripture, then we know that the message of the Bible is consistent, that it never changes. It, like God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that's not to make Scriptures the fourth person of the Trinity, but to say that God uses the Scriptures, that he speaks through them. In the same way that if you write a letter, it is speaking for you, the same is true of Scripture, that God is writing this letter. He has written these words, and he is speaking through them. And if God's message is for all nations, then we rejoice. Because like the song says, Father Abraham had many sons. Do you know this song? The Christian hokey pokey. Uh, (laughs) Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. The message of that song is is deep in some ways because how can I be a son of Abraham? Father Abraham many sons and daughters, and how are you a son or a daughter of Abraham? Because righteousness comes by faith, and because the message from the beginning has been for all nations, not just for the Jewish people, but for everyone. And so we should praise the Lord, not just praise the Lord, we should praise the Lord. We should thank God that he has brought us in, as Paul says, that he has grafted us in to be a part of the vine, that you are a child of Abraham, and you receive the blessings of Abraham, not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has done, that righteousness is by faith, and that God has desired to save all nations, and now we are a part of the blessing of Abraham. We receive the blessings as if we were his sons and daughters, his heirs. It's a miracle that God has done. And to distort that, and to section people off and say, no, those people, these people are not worthy to receive the gospel, is to distort God's message from the very beginning. It was never that way. Right from the very beginning, with Abraham, all nations will be blessed in you. And if God's message is for all nations, and all you need to do is to come to him in faith, in, by faith, then we need to preach this message to all people. Again, we point this out a lot, but I think it deserves being pointed out. This this church is made up of nations, at least two, <laughs> but more. And and we are brought together because not even just because we are Christians. We could even say because we're sons of Abraham. We are together the family of God, and we exemplify the beauty of what God says. And so we need to go and we need to preach the gospel to all nations. This is something that's that's on my heart for our church. As I look at our church and think about that, that we are unique, okay? We are we are not one demographic. We are a, a place when you walk in, it's it's different than some of the churches in Louisville, and that's a good thing. And I think that God has blessed us in that, and and in another sense, God has blessed the cities like Louisville in that the nations have have come. You work with people that that are from all over the map. 
all over the world. And God is calling all nations to come to him. And, and I believe that God has uniquely gifted Grace Fellowship Church to reach out to those that are not originally from Louisville, Kentucky, who maybe don't speak with a southern drawl, who are here because they got on a plane and, and, and they're here and they, they're not originally from here. Like, like many of those that are a part of our church, that is true for you. And I think that we go with the message of Abraham and we say, you know what, God has called all nations and we want to call you to come and to reflect the beauty of that. And we would reflect the beauty of what heaven is, that God has called people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's my prayer for our church. Not that we would be exclusive and say, you know, no white Americans allowed here, because then I guess I wouldn't be allowed here. And then we wouldn't say, though, either that it's that this is just Filipinos and that it's just white Americans, but if it is all nations, that we would reflect the beauty of what God has done. Man, that, that's that's my prayer for our church, even as we enter into this, this new year, that we would see that, that God would draw our hearts to the nations, to people that are here, that, that have come from faraway places, but they have landed in Louisville, Kentucky for some reason. And maybe part of that reason is so that they would come to this place and they would see the love of God and they would see that the promises made to Abraham are promises for them, that if they would believe, they would come by faith, that they can be saved and that they can become sons of Abraham, wherever they're from, whoever they're descended from, but they can receive the blessings because it's intended for all nations. My prayer is that we would go forth with that message. Because it's it's a message that that defies logic. It's a message that defies any other religion, any other faith that we could come to. Because someone might come and they say, well, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to have to be saved? And we say, well, what you need is a whole bunch of debt, like sin debt, that you can't pay off. Do you have that? Because if you have that, then, then God's rescue plan is for you. They say, well, I've got plenty of that. And they say, well, do you, do I have to be someone special? Like, do I have to be descended from someone? Or does my family have to be elite? Um, and we say, well, let me ask you this. Are you, a, are you a part of a nation? Like, you know, have you ever been born in a nation? Because God's plan is for all nations. So if you've been born in a nation, then I, you can be a part of this. And they say, well, yeah, I was, I was born in a country. So, I guess the promise is for me, and God's blessing is to all nations. And they say, yeah, but but what do I have to do? Tell me what I have to do to, to receive this salvation. And we say, okay, well, you got your, your sin debt, and we've seen that you're you're from a nation. Um, actually, what you have to do is is nothing, because you can't do anything. It's all been done. The, the table is set. And all we are to do is to come and to sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and people from all nations that have come. And how have they come? They, they didn't come bringing their own plate. They didn't come and have to pull their own chair up. They came and they sat down. Why? Because the table was set for them and they come by faith. And if you come by faith, if you believe God, then you're part of the family. You're reckoned as righteous, you're counted as righteous. And God takes the sin debt and he wipes it clean. And he says, now I give you my righteousness and you are pure. And not only that, I, I make you a, a son of Abraham. And even more beautiful, I make you a son of God. And you can come and you can sit at my table. And 
everyone's invited. All you need is a sin debt. And you need to have been born in a nation. And you need to come and say, I believe God. I believe that I can't bring Him anything. But I believe that He will save me based on what Jesus has done on my behalf. So what do you have to do to be a child of Abraham? Believe. And what do you have to do to receive all the blessings that were promised to Abraham? You believe. And the blessings that were promised to Abraham is that all nations would be blessed through him. And all nations have been blessed through him in the person of Jesus Christ. And we come and we put our faith in him alone. And we come empty-handed. We say, thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this is, it's marvelous in our sight. It's your doing. It's not something that we would have ever imagined. Though we weren't even born when you made the promises to Abraham, and yet they are for us. And when we were born, we were not born as those descended from him, and yet the promises are for us. Lord, thank you that we don't have to rely on anything that we do. If we had to rely on that, Lord, we would be without hope. But we come empty-handed because that's how you want us to come. We come with faith, believing that what you said you will do. And if you say that you will make us righteous through the person of Jesus Christ, if you say that you will wipe out our sin debt, if we repent of our sins and believe in you alone, then we believe it. And we, we honor you, we see you as worthy of trust, worthy of our faith, worthy of our very lives. We believe you this morning, God. We reaffirm that belief that what you say you will do. And so, Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation, that you have not only made us sons of Abraham, but you have made us your sons, Lord, that you are our Father, that you love us. Lord, and I pray that you would fill our hearts with this message and that we would take it to every tribe and tongue and people and nation, that we would take it to the nations that have gathered here in our city, and we would tell them that they can become children of God, not by anything that they do, but by faith alone. Fill our hearts with that message, Lord. Let us be like Jeremiah where it's, it's inside of us and we can't hold it in, but we tell those that we know and love the good news of Jesus Christ and that you would open their eyes to see it, Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.